three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Sully is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglore. Great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, the Bears lost to the Cowboys. We'll provide reaction and updates in just a second. Plus, a brand new interview today with Armando Salguero, senior NFL writer at OutKick and a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. We talked with him extensively about some Bears football, his career, Hall of Fame stuff for the NFL, and so much more. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglul. Want to watch more of this show? Head on over to SportsTalkChicago.com. Want to start today with this. I have no idea how to feel right now. <laughs> On one hand, I couldn't be more excited and encouraged. Justin Fields had the best game of his NFL career against the best passing defense in football. Can't even explain that. It's amazing. And it further showed how much he could be the Bears' future at quarterback. I'm more and more convinced week by week that he's the guy. On the other hand, the Bears lost by 20 and were blown out effectively by Dallas on the road. See my conundrum? (laughs) We saw something we usually didn't see. The defense let the Bears down. Not Justin Fields, not Luke Getze, not Matt Eberflus necessarily, not Ryan Poles. It was the defense that hurt the Bears yesterday. Justin Fields had two touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, was very much accurate, made plays with his legs, ran the football. The Bears' run game was good. The Bears dominated in time of possession. The Bears were right there with Dallas, even offensively, on first downs, on yards total. They were pretty much even. And yet, the Bears lost by 20. The Bears had 29 points, second straight week, in which they nearly scored 30. I can't remember the last time we saw the Bears' offense click like it has been, scoring this many points, putting up this many yards, adjusting to Justin Fields, calling more plays from the Ravens' playbook and having them work. It was amazing. It was a clinic offensively. There were a few mistakes. We'll talk about them. But yet defensively is where the Bears failed on Sunday. I really thought this was going to be a much closer game than what happened. The Bears enabled Dak Prescott 21-27, 250 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Tony Pollard went crazy, averaging 9.4 yards per rush with three rushing touchdowns. And that all proved to be the key as to why Dallas won. Look, Dallas pressured Justin Fields a bit, but it wasn't in comparison to the first couple of weeks. It wasn't overwhelming for Fields or the Bears. There were very few times in which the Bears lost a down or lost an opportunity just because of bad pass protection. That's not what happened. That was not the story of yesterday's game. The problem was defense. The Bears allowed only four sacks, but Dallas only allowed one. We talked about this yesterday in the live stream and during the preview video. The Bears needed to make Dak Prescott be Dak Prescott. They failed in that situation. They let Dak Prescott complete 12 of his first 13 passes. It was eerily reminiscent of the Vikings game. 
Kirk Cousins going 17 of 17 to start. Same idea here. Dak Prescott was completing everything. Everybody was open. C.D. Lamb got open way too many times. Schultz got open way too many times. And that proved to be the difference maker. Then Tony Pollard, without Ezekiel Elliott, ran crazy on the Bears. That one touchdown run was so frustrating. They had Pollard just behind the line of scrimmage. Two Bears guys failed to tackle him. Then he went all the way. Like a 50-yard run. Plays like that are why you're not winning the game. Oh, by the way, Dallas was 9 of 11 on third down conversions. So the Bears barely forced them to punt, if ever. Dallas scored all the time yesterday. They just kept going. The Bears tried to keep up, but if you're in a shootout and you're the Bears, even with Justin Fields playing for his life, it doesn't matter. You're not going to win. The Bears needed to be who they were defensively, and they weren't. And that proved to be the biggest difference maker in yesterday's game. They did not limit Dak Prescott. They looked horrible. They did not force turnovers. They let Tony Pollard run wild. These were the issues. This was the reason the Bears fell short. And really, I think it's a shame. Now, there were so many saying, well, the Bears' defense lost more round because they traded away Robert Quinn. Maybe that's true to an extent. Robert Quinn, veteran, everybody looked up to him, everybody liked him, and the Bears got rid of him, rightfully so, because there was no need for him. The Bears should not have been on the hook to pay $20-plus million for next year and the year after. They paid him $7.1 million, and they said goodbye. And that's fine with me. They got back a pick. It's all okay. Robert Quinn did nothing this year. Newsflash. He was double-teamed. It doesn't matter. The fact is, he did nothing. And had Quinn been there yesterday, the results would have probably been the same. Most likely would have been the exact same result. Maybe a little bit less points for Dallas. That's about it. Maybe 42 instead of 49. That's all you could say. So let's retire that narrative and talk about truth here. Stop focusing on hypotheticals. Oh, well, if he was there, it doesn't matter. He wasn't there. The fact is he wasn't. The fact is the defense failed. And it is a pretty big shame, in my opinion, because finally, one side of your ball is getting better. For once, the offense is improving. You just need the defense to maintain what they've done all year, and they couldn't even do that. They didn't face Ezekiel Elliott. They were facing Dak Prescott. They could have forced Prescott to throw more picks or to make more mistakes. Newsflash, Dak Prescott is a mistake-prone quarterback. And if you pressure him enough, he will lose a game for you. That's not to say Dak Prescott's a bad quarterback, but he's not elite. Might be paying elite money, but not an elite quarterback. That's a fact. The Bears could have found a way to force Dak to make a mistake and to blow the game for himself and for his team. And they almost did it in the second quarter. The Bears scored. They forced Dak to throw a pick. They got the ball back. And the Bears scored a touchdown. It would have been 28-24 at the half. And instead, they didn't do anything, put up a field goal, then couldn't score when they got the ball back in the second half, and the rest was history. There was an opportunity yesterday for the Bears to win that game or at least for the Bears to come all the way back, they couldn't do it. And when the Bears needed another turnover, another fumble recovery, or another interception force, they couldn't do it. And there was no pass rush whatsoever. Dak was never under pressure. That explains why, in the beginning, he was 12 of 13 to start, and a touchdown. Why, overall, he was 21 of 27. The Bears did not pressure him enough. And they didn't let Dak Prescott be Dak Prescott. That's the main reason why they fell short. And they let Tony Pollard run wild. And, and this goes back to the whole Bears narrative of bad run defense. It continued. You would have thought it could have gotten a little bit better, but it just got worse yesterday. They gave up 9.4 yards per carry to Pollard. Pollard nearly 10 yards, nearly a first down every single time Pollard ran the football. You're not going to win games doing that. The Bears dominated time of possession, 38 minutes of football to 24 for Dallas, and they still lost. That's a defensive issue. I think the offense did everything they could to win. 29 points in an NFL game should give you a win every single time. Didn't work. 
out on Sunday. The Bears were even two of three on fourth downs. I mean, they were moving 71 plays to 57. They dominated offensively and running the football. Did a great job. Khalil Herbert, 99 yards. David Montgomery, 53. Fields, 60. Bayless Jones, even, 33. We'll talk about him in a second, too. There were positives for the Bears offensively. That was the reason they stayed in the game. But the defense bailed them. For Justin Fields, though, this was the best game of his entire NFL career, the highest rating he's ever sustained in an NFL football game. 120. 120 passer rating, two touchdowns, 74% completion percentage, 153 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Added in a rushing touchdown and 60 rushing yards. I know I've been pretty skittish on Justin Fields. I think rightfully so, because there were real concerns. Justin Fields was not doing this week one, week two, week three. He was actually regressing. That's a fact. Look at the stats. Look at the game tape. He was regressing. He was making significant errors and mistakes. But these past two weeks now, not two weeks in a row, he has shown unbelievable, unfathomable growth to me. And this is something we have to continue to encourage and watch out for. That's why I said to open up this video, the Bears lost, but I'm still happy. If that makes any sense to anybody listening or watching. It's okay to me. The defense's performance was inexcusable. And that's why I ranted about them for about 10 minutes, because they deserve the critique. They blew this game for their young quarterback in desperate need and in desperate search of a win. They need that confidence boost. You need to know, hey, this is my team. We won. We beat America's team. And they could have done it if it wasn't for the defense. That's why I'm mad at them. Justin Fields played the best game he's ever played in his entire NFL career. No question. Accurate. Ran for yards. Touchdowns and keyboard. No turnovers. No fumbles. Justin Fields leads the league in fumbles, by the way, but no fumbles yesterday. No picks. No reason to give the Cowboys more ammo to win even more. No ammo for the Cowboys. No way the Bears or Justin Fields blew the game himself. And that's been the biggest issue. Offensively, the Bears have been blowing game for themselves. What about the Commanders game? The Bears blew that offensively for themselves. Fields made mistakes. Palos Jones made mistakes. Everybody had a role to play in losing that game. But against New England, everybody did great. Defense did great. Offense did great. Bears win. This weekend, defense played like crap, but the offense did great, kept the Bears in the game to the final whistle. And that's the positive of this weekend. The entire goal of this season, we talked about this back in May, was for the Bears to develop Justin Fields to know whether or not he is the guy, a quarterback. We've been wondering, we've been scouring, we've been worried and anxious about it, especially after the first couple of weeks and how the season began for Fields, how tumultuous it was, how difficult it was. But as of right now, based on how he's played the last two games, if this continues, Fields is the guy for the Bears. We don't need to ask that question anymore as long as his performance continues to go like this. I'm okay with 150 passing yards, and that might be controversial to some, but I'm okay with it because he adds more rushing when you put those yardage totals together, it's about 250 to 300 yards of offense per game just from Justin Fields, himself only. I think that's super impressive. And I really got to give some credit, too, to Luke Getze. Yeah, I do. I will say this. For years now, we've been talking about catering to Justin Fields. Matt Nagy didn't do it. Nobody did it. Nobody cared. Even in the beginning, Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze really didn't. But these past two weeks, this opening of a Ravens-type playbook for Justin Fields has produced wonders for him. And if you're not a fan of Lamar Jackson or the way he plays, then get lost. A lot of traditionalists say, well, it's not sustainable, and Justin Fields can't be running all the time. I say bogus. Yes, he can. He can do whatever the hell he wants. If they win, they win. If they put up points, they put up points. 
I'm not asking Justin Fields to throw for 500 yards a game. If he throws for a buck 50 and then runs for 100, fine. I just want to see results, and I want to see growth, and I want to know if he's the guy or not. If the Bears have demonstrated that they can put up big points with Justin Fields, which they've done now for two weeks in a row, using this game plan, keep it going. I love traditional quarterbacks. I love pocket passers. But you don't need to be a pocket passer in order to win. Not anymore. Maybe 15, 20 years ago, maybe 50 years ago, you don't need to do that to win today. You could be Lamar Jackson and be a respectable, if not elite, NFL quarterback. It's been proven. Justin Fields can be that guy. Justin Fields could do the same thing, could mimic Jackson or Jalen Hurts, run, pass, and win. If Fields rushes for 1,000 at some point, or 750, passes for 3,000, 20 touchdowns, maybe 10 more on the ground, that's MVP-type stuff. Really, it is. We need to make sure we evaluate Fields fairly and take everything into consideration when we say whether or not he's a good quarterback. I'm counting his running stats, his rushing ability into that entire equation. It's not just passing. Although I will say Fields did great passing. This was his best passing game ever. Most accurate. No picks, two touchdowns. This was a huge game for Fields and a huge game for the Bears offensively. Didn't like the Vanless Jones Jr. drop. That should have been potentially a touchdown. Fields did underthrow EQ St. Brown early in the game. That could have been an easy touchdown if he threw it further ahead of him. So there were a couple of mistakes. Everybody had a roll, but mainly it was the Justin Fields show and the Khalil Herbert show, the run game show. And the Bears stayed in it throughout because of their offensive prowess, because of their ability to score and move the ball. I appreciated that. It was actually fun to watch that game. It really wasn't boring or, oh boy, the Bears are already out of it. Even when they were out of it, I was entertained. I was entertained to see what Justin Fields would do. I was entertained to see how many points they would score. You know the old baseball phrase, chicks dig the long ball? Well, it's kind of the same in football. We want to see points. We want to see something offensively. Look, I like defensive games. I like... uh, 12-7, 12-7, Bears win, not Commanders win, but we want to see more out of Justin Fields. We want to see more out of this team, and we saw a lot on Sunday. I think this could be a turning point type game, not in the sense that the Bears are going to the playoffs, but in the sense of this offense is finding its identity. This offense is putting up significant amounts of points every single game. Now, two weeks in a row. This offense is finding out who they are And I think just the right time of the season, the Bears are not contenders. They're not going to the playoffs. They're not going to win everything. But you find your identity today. You could test it out for the rest of the year. Come next year, you're going to be even better. If the Bears could weaponize this offense, bring in some wide receivers, bring in an offensive line so Fields isn't running for his life, and you already know how to succeed with running with Fields and throwing the football, Next year could be a big year for the Bears, and there should be significant expectations around this team. So there's a lot to like from yesterday. I'm not thrilled that the Bears lost. We didn't expect them to win. And if you did, then you were probably smoking some Kool-Aid. I said they could have won. There could have been a path to victory, but I was not picking them. They were facing the Cowboys. That's it. They did play well enough to win offensively. And really, they should have won. Yes, they should have won. If the defense played like they did against New England, the Bears would have won. That was a defensive loss, a defensive blown game. The defense is to blame for everything that happened yesterday. I was okay with minimal mistakes offensively, except for the Bayless Jones thing. Did not like that at all. There were minimal mistakes offensively, but there were major mistakes, major issues defensively. Tony Pollard could not be rushing for nine yards per carry. That's a first down every carry. Dak Prescott cannot be going 12-13 and only making one interception. They didn't force Dak to be Dak. They let Dak be this poser. 
Because when Dak makes his bad defenses, he's a poser. That's the problem. That's why it took the Cowboys so long to determine whether or not they should pay him. Rightfully so. Everybody forgets about that. Dak was not a consensus extension candidate. There were issues with Dak. There still are. Cowboys extended him because they had nobody else, and Cooper Rush was winning, even, when Dak was hurt. So it's not even a big Dak team. It's a good team in general. Really a good defense and good run game. Dak's more so the game manager, and had the Bears forced him to make more mistakes, they would have won that game. That simple. But I digress. The fact is, we saw something very encouraging out of Justin Fields. That's the storyline moving into next week. Can the Bears keep this up offensively? Can the Bears put up another 30-point game again? Is Justin Fields going to be even more accurate? Will they run the ball more with him? Will Fields score more? Turn over the ball less. These are keys we're going to have to look for. And, th- and that's okay. That's the point of this season. So I'm okay with the loss. I'm not happy. I'm not endorsing losing. This isn't even a moral victory because... The defense played horribly. The moral victory was, you know what? The Bears faced an elite team and played with them and stayed with them. The Bears were not with the Cowboys by the end of the game. Five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. They're down by 20. They're not in the game. Had some decent moments. So this isn't even a moral victory. And I hate moral victories. This wasn't a moral victory. This wasn't a real victory. It was just a victory for Justin Fields. That's the key. This was not a team win or a team moral win. This was a win only for Justin Fields. Really, it was. He was the only player, truly, who had such an elite performance. And the running backs did great. Herbert did good. Montgomery did fine. But the elite performance was Justin Fields. 120 passer rating, nearly perfect. I mean, 38 points away from perfect. Not a moral victory. Not a team victory. A Justin Fields victory. And you know what? That's all that matters. The defense played like trash. I'm pissed about how the defense handled themselves against Dak Prescott. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't good. Tony Pollard ran wild. Out of all people, Tony frickin' Pollard. I mean, come on. There were issues. <laughs> there were problems. But Justin Fields won key. That's the key. Justin Fields won. The Bears didn't. There was no moral win. Justin Fields won. That's the whole point of this entire season and the moral of this game, too. We want to see Justin Fields win. And it's unfortunate when there are no weapons or when the defense can't hold up their end of the bargain. It makes it harder to find the wins for Fields. But that was a win. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It was a win for Fields. He did nothing wrong. Nothing. In that game. And I challenge the defense to get the hell over the Robert Quinn trade and be better next week. I know he's a veteran. I know everybody liked him. I know everybody was crying. I get it. It's it's a human element. It's a sport. People are moving. It's tough. But guess what? Be better for your freaking quarterback. Come on. Robert Quinn's not the leader of this team. Justin Fields is. Be better for him. Play for him, not Quinn. Play for him. Everybody's trying to see whether or not he's the guy. Everybody's evaluating this season on one person and one person only, Justin Fields. Play better for him. I know Robert Quinn leaving is heartbreaking, but man up and play better for Justin Fields. I hope the Bears do that next week, because if they do, they could very much beat the Miami Dolphins. But if they don't, it's going to be another great Justin Fields game and a bad game for the Bears overall. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Armando Salguero comes up next, so stay tuned. Mark Chicago. Every town's a glue, and we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's a senior NFL writer at Outkick, a pro football Hall of Fame voter, and a 30-plus year sports media veteran. Please welcome Armando Salguero to the program. Armando, it's great to have you on. How are you? It's my pleasure, John. Always my pleasure. 
What do you make of the NFL trade deadline first up, specifically the Bears? They made some big moves, getting Chase Claypool and trading away Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith. Yeah, it's been a crazy six days for the Chicago Bears, right? <laughs> uh, so in six days, they had a what they hope is a number one receiver. They lose an all-pro linebacker and a guy who had 18 and a half sacks last year in Robert Quinn. That's a, that's a lot of work by anybody and yesterday particularly on the deadline with Smith going to the Ravens and Claypool coming from the Steelers wow it, it was a turnstile over there how do you feel about the moves I mean instant reaction when you saw them were you excited do you think this is going to help the Bears long term I understand the Roquan Smith move I really do and I know that the the fan base in Chicago is going to say we just traded away a Pro Bowl, uh, borderline all-pro linebacker. This guy should be a cornerstone player. This guy should be part of the nucleus around which we build. And all of that is true. It, it really is. But this is also true. Once guys come out of their rookie contracts, um, they, those kind of players uh, have a certain price that they believe that they they deserve, right? And the price for an off-ball linebacker in the middle of a defense making big plays is right now at like $19.7 million a year. And the Bears weren't there. Uh, in fact, Roquan Smith wasn't there because he wanted to be north of that. And so they weren't going to do that. I really believe that this trade might not have happened if Roquan Smith had a had an agent, to be honest with you. If it wasn't him talking to the team and the team having to be, you know, unvarnished and very honest with their opinion of him, and then him being unvarnished with their opinion <laughs> of that with his opinion of them, I think it would be better because there that is the kind of conversation that happens between a team and a general manager or a, you know, a negotiator. When the player gets involved, it can get ugly. And so that's the reason that he's gone because the, the bears were never going to bridge the gap between what Roquan wanted and what they wanted to pay him. And worse, it was probably going to turn into something where hard feelings were going to be had on both sides. Do you think it was the right move for the Bears? Well, yeah. I mean, look, the Bears are not going to the Super Bowl this year. Really? Right? <laughs> uh, the Bears were 6-11 and 11 with Roquan Smith and uh, Robert Quinn last year. So it's not like these guys are the difference between – uh, you know, we're, we're challenging for a playoff spot or not. The way that the Chicago Bears are going to challenge for a playoff spot, eventually, if that is going to happen, is they've got to fix the offensive line. They have to wait and hope and pray that Justin Fields matures and they find uh, talent around him and you know, they, they obviously find an offense that suits him. I think they're close to that now. Uh, and so all those things don't involve necessarily a middle linebacker. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's great to have one, and it's great to have a great one, and he is. But you look at the team that got him, the Baltimore Ravens, their, you know, that their development as a team is not one step ahead of the Bears. It's like, five steps ahead of the Bears, <laughs> they they can use a, a Roquan Smith. The Bears, they can use a Roquan Smith too, but it's not going to deliver the kind of punch that they need to be relevant. Armando Salguero here on Sports Talk Chicago. Armando, what's your tank on Justin Fields up to this point? I like what's happened the last couple of weeks, right? I think everybody in Chicago does. And it's not necessarily just Justin Fields. It's the organization. It's the new coaching staff learning him, uh, trying to pluck what he does well and what he is comfortable with and 
you know, sort of highlighting that and letting him do that as opposed to trying to make him a drop back passer, which, you know, uh, most rookie quarterbacks have trouble doing. And, and m- most rookie quarterbacks that have, you know, a history and an athletic ability like a Justin Fields where it hasn't had to be that before, they have more trouble doing it. I think that the Bears, the way that they have to address Justin Fields is pretty simple. There's a template out there for that. Uh, The template is look at the Baltimore Ravens. The template is look at the Philadelphia Eagles. What did the Ravens do in Lamar Jackson's second year, you know, when he went nuts? Well, they changed their entire offense without changing their offensive coordinator, without changing the head coach, without, you know, significantly altering the personnel. They changed the philosophy and they built around what Lamar does well, which was not drop back passing, by the way. It was, we're going to run the ball. We're going to let Lamar run the ball. We're going to RPO. We're going to zone read you. You're going to go nuts. And, and we're going to let him be the guy that he is. The, the, the Eagles this year, what did they do? Very similar, but they also went out and put so much talent around Jalen Hurts. I mean, that receiver core, A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, that's a... You know, that, that's a pretty amazing group that they've got over there. They've got a very complete offensive line, a good running game. That's the way that you turn young uh, quarterbacks that are athletic and can do so many other things into weapons that defenses struggle with. And the Bears are, I think they're on the way to doing that. The Chase Claypool addition speaks to that. They're not done. Right. We, we can agree on that. What did you feel or how did you feel about the rest of the NFL trade deadline? Lots of different moves for other teams. I mean, who got better during this deadline? Well, it's pretty easy to say the Dolphins uh, got better. Look, they're chasing the Buffalo Bills, right? And they're not going to catch the Buffalo Bills unless they address, you know, the Josh Allen problem. And the Josh Allen problem is he's great and there are very few quarterbacks in the NFL like him or that can compete with him. So the way you address him is you make him less great. You bring in, you know, a defensive closer, a stopper or two or five, if you can, to to mitigate the damage that he is bound to do because of his great skill. So Bradley Chubb added to the Dolphins is akin to what the Bills did when they went out and got Von Miller, what the Rams did last year when they got went out and got Von Miller. The Bills did it last, you know, last offseason to address Patrick Mahomes. Well, the Dolphins yesterday got Bradley Chubb to address Josh Allen. What does this mean for the Dolphins moving forward? I mean, they're already Pretty good team, five and three. They're getting better. I mean, does this make them a Super Bowl caliber team? Does this put them up a notch? What what do you see that being? Yeah, so this is a strange year, John. Who is the super team? You know, I know that the Eagles are undefeated. We'll see how long that lasts. (laughs) Um, I don't think it, you know, it's been done once. And so if they can do it again, God bless them. But I don't see the Eagles as a, you know, super, super team. Um, I don't see them as the 2007 Patriots or anybody like that. I guess what I'm saying is there's a couple, maybe three really, really good teams. I would say the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Eagles. But beyond that, you know, you've got a mishmash of of teams that are Five and three, four and four, uh, you know, that that group that is trying to take a step up to, you know, the, the better teams. I would put the Dolphins in the mishmash group, and they're, they're, they didn't take a, a step to Buffalo 
and Philadelphia and Kansas City, in my opinion, although they've beaten Buffalo uh, this year. But they got closer, uh, or at least it sounds like they did, and they did it at a position that is a cornerstone position, pass rusher, and a position where in November you can actually, you know, trade for someone and put them on the field immediately because you don't have to learn the entire defense. You don't have to learn an entire offense. What he has to learn this week is that's the quarterback. Go find him when he's passing. Do you remember a season like this? I mean, you mentioned and brought up a great point. Everybody's kind of all over the place. There are three elite teams and then a bunch of teams in the middle. Do you remember anything like this in your years covering the NFL? No, it's it's been a long time since it's been like this. You you got to think about it. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, I think, are like four and four. And they got, you know, hammered on national television <laughs> a couple of nights ago. The Los Angeles Rams, I, I think they're, what, three and four or, or just at 500? Those teams played in the Super Bowl eight months ago, nine <laughs> months ago. Uh, they're, they're supposed to be pretty good. They didn't graduate anybody. And, and yet uh, they're just okay. And there's a bunch of other teams that were thinking they were going to be really good, the Las Vegas Raiders. And they're barely okay. I mean, they're not even good right now. So it's it's a strange season. Um, I don't know who's going to separate here in the last couple of months. Uh, but my guess is we're going to be talking once again about the Bills and the Chiefs and maybe even the Eagles. You know, the Green Bay Packers? <laughs> oh, my God. Aaron Rodgers says he owns Chicago? <laughs> Um, Aaron Rodgers needs to own Green Bay because honestly, dude, you're not playing well and your team is pretty bad right now. Who's the more disappointing team, the Raiders or the Packers? Um, I'm more disappointed in the Raiders. And, and the reason I say that this is a team that last year they had one crisis after another, right? They had a guy basically basically driving at a billion miles an hour and hitting someone's car and killing them in a fiery crash, allegedly. Um, they, you know, they their coach had to resign uh, because things were just, you know, in in, in a little bit of a a crisis mode. Let's say, all right. Um, when your coach is resigning, things are things are wrong. They had another player arrested on a gun charge. That they had a million things going on that were wrong, and they made the playoffs. They 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 really did show a legitimate amount of of bounce back of durability. Well, come this offseason, they add Devontae Adams. And they add Chandler Jones, who are, A, the best receiver on the market, and B, a, a top, you know, cornerstone edge rusher. And they they just got shut out and blown out by, I think, <laughs> New Orleans, who was starting their backup quarterback, who the week before threw three interceptions and doesn't have his two starting wide receivers. <laughs> so... <laughs> You do that, and, and yeah, they were talking about being embarrassed and that, you know, Josh McDaniels is apologizing. If your head coach is apologizing to the fan base, you're not good. You've had a bad day. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Did you buy the Josh McDaniels hiring? I was pretty skeptical. The Bears were tied to him for a little bit. Did you buy that? Did you think that was going to work out? Yeah, I fell for the banana in the tailpipe trick. I really did. <laughs> and I, I figured, well, tremendous failure in, in Denver, but he's had 10 long years of success where he can grow and master things that clearly he didn't have when he was in Denver. And he said himself, I grew, I did the work, I did... 
<laughs> so much for that. I know it's pretty early. I know a lot of teams are kind of in the middle, but do you have a Super Bowl prediction or a Super Bowl idea uh, moving forward? I predict that I will be there. Okay. <laughs> Not to say and, prediction. <laughs> uh, look, I, I, I have no clue who's going to come out of the NFC. I guess if I said Philadelphia, I wouldn't be clown myself because, <laughs> right? Because they're undefeated. So, okay. Give me Philadelphia. <laughs> but in the AFC, I think that the Super Bowl will be played in the AFC championship game when Buffalo and Kansas City, or wherever in the divisional game, when Buffalo and Kansas City play, I believe that will be the Super Bowl. More to come with Armando Salguero. In just a moment, stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. Armando Salguero here, still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Armando, a few more questions before we finish up. I uh, wanted to get into your career a bit. So how did you get your start in sports media? Yeah, it was so long ago, I barely remember. <laughs> um, dude, I really worked my way up from nothing, um, which is kind of the story of my life, to be honest with you. Um, so I got hired in 1982 or something. I was just right out of high school uh, by a newspaper that's out of business called the Miami News. And they hired me to take high school's, you know, sports scores over the phone uh, three nights a week for $90. That's not $90 a night. That's three nights for $90. <laughs> and I thought, this is wonderful. This is great. <laughs> I get to talk to like people about sports and get paid. And, you know, that turned into a full-time gig eventually, which then led me to the Miami Herald for a long time, which then led me to ESPN for a short time, which then led me back to the Miami Herald for, you know, a long time, as well as some radio uh, in, in South Florida. And then OutKick came along a couple of years ago and said, hey, um, if you want to cover the entire league for us uh, and work for Fox News, uh, maybe you, we can talk. And I said, let's talk. And that's what happened. And here I am, you know, uh, looking like a fool on your show. <laughs> What's been the most rewarding part of your job? So my job is never the same day to day. You know, I, I know of a lot of people that go to work and they do on Thursday what they did on Wednesday and are going to do on Friday. And it's the same routine over and over. My job isn't like that, obviously. Uh, I know a lot of people that go to work and, and hate what they do. I go to football games for a living. <laughs> I get paid to go to football games. <laughs> Think about that. I mean, I'm at a football game. There's 70,000 people right back here. You see, right, those right. guys. Right behind you. They're paying. I'm getting paid to be at that game. So, you know, those are things that you feel good about. And it doesn't, it very rarely feels like work. Which story that you've written is most memorable to you? I know it's been a long time, but is there something that really sticks out? Well, I, I got into it with Colin Kaepernick one time, and that <laughs> that didn't go well for him. Um, <laughs> you know, I, what can I tell you? It was the year that he was taking a knee. Sure. Um, and whatever, if the guy wants to take a knee, he wants to take a knee. His stated reason for taking a knee was and continues to be that he could not salute the flag of, that represents a country that oppresses 
some of its people, right? Except that the night that he first started doing that, uh, to his press conference, he wore a T-shirt with Fidel Castro on it, right? Uh, if anyone knows, Fidel Castro was the despot tyrant in Cuba, uh, dictator, communist guy, who killed <laughs> a lot of people. In other words, an oppressor. And the reason I know that is because I'm Cuban and some of my family were those people and I was born there. And so I asked Colin on a, on a conference call, dude, so you're anti-oppressors and yet you're wearing this t-shirt of one of the 20th century's all-star oppressors. What's up with that? And then he went Ralph Cramden on me and hamana, 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 hamana and started arguing with me that Fidel Castro was okay in certain respects. No, 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 never. And I wasn't gonna put up with it and we got into it and then I wrote about it and it went viral and it got ugly and it didn't, the exchange didn't get ugly. The, the, the whole episode of, well, what does it mean to be oppressed? Uh, came into into conversation, so that that was one of the stories that I did that I don't think I'm going to forget. Have you talked to Colin since then? Has there been any exchange with him since then? Uh, I have not. In fact, Colin doesn't do interviews on a, you know, he doesn't do that anymore. And the reason he, by the way, that was the week that they were coming to South Florida to play the Dolphins after the game. Well. The game ended by uh, Colin being sacked on a on a pass play that could have won the 49ers the game. And he was sacked by Kiko Alonso, whose parents are Cuban. Uh, so, <laughs> and then Kiko is all happy about that. After the game, he said that I had misquoted him. And then he repeated exactly what he had said to me all over again uh, during that press conference. He misquoted me, but let me just say it again in the same manner. So that, that was a moment that I kind of like shook my head at. But no, I, there's been no, you know, detente between us. Uh, I, I, he doesn't do a lot of interviews anyway. I think he did a podcast with some former players, um, but not with actual reporters since then. How do you feel about that situation today? I know it's a long way removed now, but how do you feel about it now when you look back on it? Well, what exactly, what situation are you, are you talking about the exchange or? The exchange and then the aftermath that came with it. It was, look, sometimes uh, fate God, whatever you believe in, puts you in a position and you do what you need to do. I'm sure Colin feels that way because he did what was in his heart and continues to do and say what is in his heart. Well, that's fine. But maybe if you're going to do that, you need to be able to represent that uh, without... Look, let me just say this. If you're going to be against oppression of any peoples, God bless you. I'm with you, brother. If you're going to be against oppression of any people and then defend a dictator, no, you're not my guy. Simple as that. And Armando, before we finish up today, last question. Um, what's the funniest moment that you've been a part of in your career? So I think it was 1992 or 93 or maybe 94. I don't know. That's a long time ago, right? Um, the Dolphins had a linebacker named Brian Cox, who went on to play for the Chicago Bears, by the way. Um, and Brian was amazing. Uh, I mean, just amazing in that no fear, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the heartbeat of the team, right? 
he was not only the heartbeat, he was the courage of a team. I remember one time uh, the Dolphins kicker, Pete Stoyanovich, got hit on a kickoff by one of the New York Jets guys. And Brian Cox went over to the Jets sideline by himself. I think it was the Jets sideline. Some The other team's sideline, like by himself, it was the Bengals. <laughs> so it was him against 53 guys in a different uniform. And he was going to defend, you know, the honor and respect of his teammate. Anyway, so I wanted to get to know what makes this guy tick. So I went to his hometown, East St. Louis, Missouri. If you've ever been to East St. Louis, Missouri in, 19, in the early 90s, um, let me put it to you this way. They, at 6 o'clock, all the stoplights start to flash yellow because they don't want people stopped at red lights at the intersections because there had been carjackings. Like wow. people were getting jacked because they were stopped at the red light. So it was always yellow once we got anywhere near sunset. So I met his father, I met his mom, his brother, his his family, and they were very cool people to me. They fed me, which is perfect. <laughs> and And so it was time for me to go back to my hotel, right? It's about nine o'clock or so. I spent the day with him. And, and Brian, like, he, I tell him, dude, I got to leave. And he goes, oh, all right, man. Hey, um, you need a gun? Can I give you a gun so you can, like, be okay on the trip? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, uh, no, I think I'll be all right. I, you know, uh, I'll be cool. I'll, you know, I'm fine. And I just. The idea that it was so casual and it's so like real uh, that moment, um, I'll lend you a gun so that you don't get you know jacked on down down the street from my house. Um, that, that moment will live in my in my my mind forever. Wow, that is I've never heard that story before. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> from any writer, anybody in media. That is um, amazing. Armando, I really appreciate the time. Really good interview. Great insights, great points. Uh, looking forward to your work at OutKick and looking forward to the next time we chat as well. It was super fun. Super fun, John. My pleasure. Anytime. Great talk there with Armando Sogaro. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Really appreciate the time. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports, Facebook, John Zaglul. Want to watch more of this show? Head on over to sportstalkchicago.com. So long, everyone. No! No! Where are the turtles?